माई सेवन चक्रास एपिसोड थ्री ट्वेंटी position throughout our body from the base of the spine to the crown of the head for thousands of years this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple what are the functions of these energy centers and could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose welcome to my seven chakras and now your host aditya jai kumar What's up Action Tribe AJ here host and founder of My 7 Chakras the show where we provide you ancient wisdom inspiring interviews and action steps that will help you transform your life so if you are new to the Action Tribe then know that you are in the right place now before we dive into today's exciting interview let's listen to this amazing five star rating and review by Miguel Sanchez from USA He says I stumbled upon this podcast looking for information about yoga and found so much more Aditya's style mix new topics and information very accessible I love hearing new book recommendations positive quotes and the wealth of information that each new guest brings I always seem to listen to a specific episode at the perfect time in my life this advice is practical and the community encourages you to take action thank you Aditya so action try if If you'd like for me to read out your review as well in front of our listeners in over 150 countries, then just go to my7chakras.com forward slash review. That's my7chakras.com forward slash review. All right. So our guest for today is the author of the book From Suffering to Peace, Make Peace with Your Mind and Awake Peace. in the wild he's the founder of the mindfulness institute and has an ma in clinical psychology he's also guided students on five continents as a corporate consultant counselor meditation teacher and wilderness guide and if you're still thinking about what what's going to be the topic for today it is going to be the promise of mindfulness so action try please help me welcome mark coleman great to be here with you again thank you So Mark uh, once again welcome to our show uh, to begin the show what is that one inspiring quote that you have on your mind right now and how do you apply it in your life Yeah so uh one quote that feels like a quote that I live by or try to live by is uh from uh, Nisargadatta Maharaj who's a wonderful Advaita Vedanta teacher from India in the last century and he uh this quote uh the summary of the quote is um wisdom tells me i am nothing love tells me i am everything between the two my life flows and so this really i think is a encompasses the whole of the spiritual life with with wisdom with meditation with understanding you know there's an exploration of understanding who we are and and also understanding what we're not and mm-hmm. when we come through the heart the heart is what allows us to connect and feel that deep intimacy and connection with with all life and so i feel like for myself the the my own inner journey and life is an exploration of seeing the the emptiness of who we are but also the fullness and the love and the connection uh with all life so that's one of my inspiring quotes that i try to hold in my mind and live by 
Wonderful, wonderful. I love this particular quote and I love the fact that you've uh, alluded to the journey that we are on right now, that of understanding ourselves, but also being kind to ourselves and experiencing that deep sense of connection uh, at every point in time. And, uh, you know, mindfulness is something that definitely helps us get there. So what inspired you to write your book, From Suffering to Peace? Yeah. So as you mentioned, I've written a couple of books already and um, I've been teaching mindfulness for the last 20 years, mostly in trained in the Buddhist tradition, teaching in Buddhist retreats and whatnot. But I've also, as, as you mentioned, founded the Mindfulness Institute, which is a way of taking these beautiful, ancient, profound teachings and making them more accessible to people in everyday life, parents, people working um, in healthcare, in education, in the justice system. And as we know, as you know, we've seen this explosion of mindfulness and interest in meditation in the last five or 10 years, a lot of great research, and it's being promoted by everybody from Time Magazine to the UK government to all kinds of different organizations. And it's great. And it, mindfulness is reaching millions of people in a way that it wasn't when it was cloistered in monasteries and, and centers and Buddhist centers and things. And the challenge that I see, having been privy to a lot of that evolution of mindfulness in the last decade, is that inevitably when something grows as quickly and as scaled as massively as mindfulness has been, the essence and the depth and the full context of the practice is missing. So mindfulness, mm -hmm. in, in an effort to simplify and make it accessible, has been reduced to attention or focus, which are part, you know, definitely parts of mindfulness practice, but it's not the whole picture. The whole picture is mindfulness is embedded in a tradition that says this is a way to find peace, freedom, self-understanding, liberation, heart-opening compassion in the midst of life. And so I wanted to address the full dimension of the practice so people had some sense of the scope and, and, and the, the, the potential of one, how, how, what can develop as we cultivate these qualities. Got so hence, uh, and I love the depth to which you go in your book as well. Please go ahead. Yeah, just... So, that, so that's why I write, wrote the book as a way to bridge the, 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 these ancient traditions and the contemporary life, which I feel like very, is very much part of your work. Got it. Absolutely. Uh, you know, as you've uh, sort of alluded to, you know, uh, a lot of people who benefit from mindfulness are, are people living in the city, right? And life can be very stressful, very hectic uh, because of so many commitments and people wanting to do so much in their lives. Uh, but before talking about these people and especially listeners of our show, let's talk about uh, yourself. How did you first discover mindfulness? Uh, you know, what year was it? And what were you doing at that time? Yeah. So I was raised in England, in Northern England, and moved to London. Uh, I was, this is in the early mid 80s. I was into punk rock. And so I was a punk rocker at a white mohawk and was uh, <laughs> kind of a wild young man. And I was also very politically active. And I was an anarchist. I was squatting houses, which were taking over empty housing stock in London. And I, and purely by circumstance, ended up squatting a house owned by a Buddhist housing association. And they happened to have a, a meditation center around the corner in the East End of London, which was a very rundown, depressed part of London at the time. And um, I was angry, hurting, I had a lot of hatred, self-hatred and turmoil. And I was looking for something to basically calm, soothe my mind and my heart. And mm -hmm. these, this, this, this center was teaching the practice of mindfulness and the practice of loving kindness, which back then in the 80s was pretty unheard of. Um, 
and uh, I immediately got a sense, oh, this, these people who are practicing seem to have some sense of presence and, and awareness and dignity. And I found the practice very moving in that it was the first time I'd really turned my attention inwards to look at my own mind, my own heart, and realizing so much of my anguish and pain was really coming from my own mind, not from the, the people I was busy blaming, society, governments, corporations. And uh, <laughs> so it began really this lifelong pursuit of exploring the mind, exploring the heart, and finding ways to find peace in the midst of life. And so that was back in 1984. And uh, mm. that journey, you know, studied in England, it eventually took me to India and Southeast Asia, studying there with various teachers, and then eventually to the States, where I've been also studying with different teachers the last 25 years. Got it, got it. So you came across this uh, modality, this field that you really enjoyed because it had an inward focus as opposed to trying to change the world around you. And you quite liked that, especially because you were going through all these uh, emotional ups and downs and you were deep down wanting to find, uh, you know, the solution to the challenges that you were facing. So what step did you take immediately after that? I mean, you became aware, but, you know, who did you go to or, you know, where did you visit after that? Yeah, well, I actually, much to the uh, shock of my family, I dropped out of college. I moved into okay. a Buddhist re retreat center in the country and really immersed, really trying to let my life go. I shaved off my mohawk. I gave all my punk clothes away, my records, <laughs> and uh, really just dived deep into kind of like it was a sort of monastery of sorts. And, and, and um, you know, worked in, in, in various uh, communities and, and really just a full-time study and which took me to India uh, eventually mm. um, and began doing long uh, meditation retreats, uh, studying with different teachers, mostly in the Theravada insight meditation tradition, Vipassana as it's sometimes known. And um, yeah, just just immersed myself in that, and it just you know. So I you know I worked part time here and there to to fund that, but basically my life was oriented around how do I wake up, how do I find freedom and peace in this in the midst in the mess of life. Not an easy thing. Got it. Absolutely, it's uh, not an easy thing indeed, and it is definitely a journey. Uh, and 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 I'm I'm glad that you mentioned that you know it was a step by step journey. At one point, you were you know, doing some other work to fund your passion to for discovering the truth, right? So which is which is fascinating. Now, in your book, you write about the term embodied awareness. Yeah. Uh, so help us understand what that really means. Yeah, so the first section of the book is really devoted to mindfulness of the body, which is really like the home base of, of practice that the body is, you know, where we live. And but sadly, for most of us, most of the time, we don't really notice our bodies. We're looking at the screen. We're in our heads. We're worrying about mm -hmm. our life. And, and so we miss the opportunity to actually be present in our bodies. Our bodies are always in the present moment. Our sensory experience, right? Right now we're seeing, we're hearing, we're touching the chair, right? We, the, mind, the body is a supreme place for learning to ground, learning to be present, learning to stabilize attention. And it's also a tremendous teacher because well, it's also not so easy necessarily at times to be in the body because it has pain, it has strong emotions, it has, you know, it's aging. Um, but if we can learn to be present to our breath, to our body, to our movements, to our senses, then we're much more likely to abide in the present, which is the doorway for any 
mindfulness or any spiritual practice or any any anything in life really the more present we are the more present we are in relationship and in, in life but the it starts with the body and so mindfulness is an embodied practice in that the body is the vehicle for training how to be present got it and it's so true i mean a lot of times um, it's just like a knee jerk reaction right we're always thinking about maybe the past or worrying about uh, what might happen in the future or in, in the mind uh, whereas you say that the foundation is to really be present in the body which is a difficult thing it's not uh, easy at all especially if somebody is new to this particular field so how can listeners start developing this type of awareness this embodied awareness yeah well even like right now as you're listening to the this this conversation like notice mm-hmm. your body like where where how you you know maybe you're driving maybe you're sitting in a chair maybe you're lying in bed right so just bring awareness bring your attention to feel your body which means not think about your body or imagine your body but actually feel like for example feel all the places your body is touching something touch your feet touching mm-hmm. the ground legs touching the chair um your clothing touching your skin the air touching your face right so you start with just feeling and sensing the the posture Mm-hmm. And of course the most accessible place that we attend to is the breath that's a, like a primary mindfulness and also primary meditation practice for many traditions is to just be present like right now as you're listening can you feel your breath is it deep or shallow long or short tense relaxed can you feel it in your nose your chest your belly um mm-hmm. and, and actually if for those people who have a hard time uh, with this idea of embodiment you can start with just simply as in watching me like touching your shoulders right touching touching your head right just like being all right head shoulders knees mm-hmm. and toes as the nursery rhyme goes right and just like all right belly legs feet all right body sitting here and then so that's the sitting and then in movement right we're always moving walking cooking running whatever so being present to your body while you're in activity like when we're walking mm-hmm. usually we're, we're thinking about where we're going right Mm-hmm. can you be present with just a simple physical act of your foot touching the earth stepping lifting the leg moving placing so people often say well i don't have time to meditate i say well you have time to be mindful which is basically being present mm-hmm. to your physical experience when you're cooking eating bathing walking the dog chopping the carrots for the dinner Got it, got it. Yeah, that's something that I think a lot of our listeners can do, you know, whether or not you can, you know, sit in silence and meditate. That's something that everyone needs to work on. But you can always focus on what you're doing when you're doing it and not think about something else. Uh, now, in your book, you say that self-judgment is a modern epidemic, right? So why is that? Yeah, well, the why is a harder question to answer than than the, than the what or, you know, how, you know, the why why self-judgment has become so prolific you know it's hard to it's hard to say but um what we do know is it's very common and i think social media has definitely made it worse you know i mm-hmm. i i started the you know when i was 20 and i was starting to meditate i was i had a very strong self uh, judge i was very critical of myself had high standards pushing myself but social media you know has made it worse people have this impossibly high standard to compare themselves to people have the perfect life on instagram right. or snapchat or wherever it is 
and um, and then our life, you know, our life is ordinary and messy and mundane. And then people have these, you know, glowing, you know, relationship, you know, profiles or whatever it is. And um, so, but the truth is, uh, what's important is most people I know, and the reason I, my last book, Make Peace With Your Mind, I, the reason I wrote that book, and I, I feature a lot also in this book, is because one, it's incredibly common. Like, you know, if I ask a hundred people in a room, 95% of that room will say, yes, I have a critic. I beat myself up. I'm hard on myself. I judge myself. I'm my, my own worst critic. And, so, and where mindfulness can be really helpful is mm-hmm. it helps us track and be present to our mind, our thoughts, and particularly our judging thoughts, which are usually negative, distorted, inaccurate, and so when we're mindful, we can be present. Oh, that's a judging thought. It's, it's not helpful. It's painful. Can I find a different vantage point? Can I see it's just a point of view? Can I see it's just a perspective? Can I see it's just a bunch of thoughts that I believe I give priority to? And when I do, I usually feel I suffer, you know. So it's really important that we bring awareness to that part of the mind and, and begin to disengage from it or to not give it so much power and attention. Got it, got it. I mean, I think that's a great uh, point you make. I mean, uh, social media has made it very hard for us to, um, I guess, not worry so much about, uh, you know, what somebody else is doing and what they're doing on their journey. But how do you go from self-judgment to genuinely assessing and evaluating our performance so that we can improve and grow, right? Because I find that this is a recurring experience for all, all of our listeners and action takers. Uh, we have big dreams and we've got visions. And sometimes, especially when things don't turn out as planned, we feel a sense of dissatisfaction and that lowers our vibration. We tend to judge ourselves. But at the same time, unless we evaluate what's uh, what's gone wrong in that particular project or that initiative, we can't improve and get better, right? So what, do you ha- what advice do you have for such a situation where you don't want to beat yourself, but at the same time, you sure. want to take in valuable feedback and then improve and, and, and transform your life? Yeah. Yeah, so I make the dis- distinction between self-judgment, which inevit- which in- innately has within it a sense of not just a criticism, but also a sense, an implication that you're a bad, wrong, stupid person. It has a judgment about your value as a, as a human being. Oh, okay. Whereas the thing that you're talking about, you know, the qualities like discernment, uh, discrimination, assessment, evaluation, those, those are all very healthy, necessary qualities. You know, like you're saying, maybe you do something at work and it doesn't go so mm-hmm. well. Maybe you give a presentation and it kind of bombs. And it's like, okay, I need to look at that. Yeah. What went wrong? What's the facts? What's the data? What was the feedback? How can I learn? How can I grow? The judge, however, comes in and says, well, that was stupid. You're hopeless. Mm. You're a waste of time. You're never going to get promoted or, you know, find a soulmate or whatever the story is. And the, the science is really interesting here. The, the science, the neuroscience, when we're beating ourselves up and judging ourselves, uh, it sh- closes down the learning centers in the brain. And right. so we can't actually learn from that. When we're busy saying, oh, that was stupid, you fool, I can't believe you said that, your boss was in the room and you really made a mess of that presentation. <laughs> that and It's clear, like when I'm saying that, you know, we laugh, but it's clear in that moment, we're not going to learn. Whereas mm-hmm. if we go, okay, yeah, that I, it wasn't a great performance, it wasn't a great meeting, Let's see how I can do that differently. That's a growth mindset. Let me look at you know what worked, what didn't work, and how can I learn for the future. That's very different than shaming and belittling ourselves for or, or making ourselves feel stupid. And so that's really important for people and your audience mm-hmm. to distinguish. 
Right, right, right. I think uh, you you shared a very very powerful word uh, in your response. You said discernment, and I think it's important also to discern between what you did wrong or what you did not do as per your performance and who you are. So it's important that we don't put a name tag against ourselves or create an identity for ourselves. If we're losers or we have failures or we, you know, this is just how the way we are. Versus, you know, just discerning evaluating, critiquing our performance, and then, you know, taking measures to improve ourselves. So uh, thanks a lot for sharing that. And uh, you, you did mention that, you, you know, the presence of you know, platforms like Instagram or Facebook can create a sort of bubble, right? Where we are automatically starting to compare ourselves with others and feel automatically a sense of envy or regret, just like a trigger reaction. So is there an evolutionary reason for us having this comparison with people who we don't even know and what can we do about these immediate uh, reactionary uh, emotions that we experience in that moment yeah well you know you're pointing to something i think that's really ubiquitous at this point we look on instagram snapchat and i see people looking all the time especially teenagers and i can see yeah. there's this very powerful sense of comparing evaluating mm -hmm. Um, you know, the ego's always living in this insecure place of, am I liked? Am I safe? Am I better than, worse than? Um, you, know, the, you know, we're social creatures, right? So it's very hardwired to want to be accepted and loved and seen and valued. Um, mm -hmm. And social media uh, plays on that kind of painfully. And so um, there's a few things that I think are important to know about that. One is just to be mindful, like when you go on these platforms, you know, it's interesting to just notice what you're feeling. Like, do you feel jealous? Right. Do you feel happy for your friend? Or you're like, oh, right, damn, I wish that was happening to me. Uh, mm -hmm. And like, same with posting. When we post, what's the motivation? Is it to be seen, to be liked, to get a, a maximum amount of shares? Um, and, uh, and and to see, and, and this is where the, the importance of mindfulness and and kindness is, is so crucial because I mean, a lot of these things are, are painful, right? And I teach this practice in the book that comes from the Buddhist tradition called appreciative joy, which is the mm -hmm. opposite of envy and jealousy, which is actually celebrating the happiness and the good fortune of others. So like, for example, when you know you see a friend's posting there in Hawaii and they're with their soulmate and they're having a great time and they just got promoted, right? It's very easy to go, mm -hmm. ah, damn, I wish that was me. I want to be on holiday. I wish I got a raise. And the, 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 the practice of appreciative joy is actually saying in the opposite of like, oh, I am happy for your happiness. May your happiness thrive and, and grow. And so that it's a way of undercutting that egoic sense of contraction and scarcity. If someone else is happy, it means less for me. Very painful mm -hmm. state. So we can actually do something quite active about it. Um, but we first have to be mindful of the state we're in and noticing the thoughts, noticing the views that are often quite distorted when we're running that kind of uh, emotion. Action Tribe, is there something that's affecting your sense of happiness and meaning in life? Do you need some support? Because BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. Whether you're experiencing depression, stress or anxiety, you're in a difficult relationship or experiencing a family conflict or you're just not able to get good sleep at night, you can tap into the world's largest network of licensed, accredited and experienced counselors who can help you from the comfort of your home no matter where 
in the world you are and financial aid is available to those that qualify and i've used their service myself so i can vouch for their intention to support and help you out everything you share remains completely confidential and if you're not happy with your counselor for any reason you can request a new one at any time at no additional charge best of all it's a truly affordable option and my seven chakras listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code action tribe so why not just reach out to them and see how they can support you go to betterhelp.com/actiontribe simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you love b e t t e r h e l p.com/a c t i o n t r i b e that's betterhelp.com/actiontribe god so they go action tribe <laughs> the next thing next time that that something like this happens remember to check in with your emotions and sort of uh, understand what you're feeling emotionally but not only that have the sense of appreciative joy uh, about the other person because of where they are because of the experiences that they might be having right so because as soon as you said that i can sense that uh, this creates a state change right a, sta- a change in energy you almost automatically go back into a state of higher vibrations which is always great uh so mark could you talk to us about uh, dealing with a loss now because like we discussed earlier change is the only constant and things t- sometimes tend to happen out of nowhere right and without any without any uh, sign and uh, you know so if this loss is an item or if it's money then that's easier to understand and deal with but sometimes it can be very hard when you lose a family member or when you lose a friend that was very close to you uh, and this seems really hard to overcome um, and, and and this has the effect of making a person feel stuck for months or even years together right so mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on this how can how can a person overcome grief and loss um, through mindfulness Yeah. Yeah, and I I definitely give this again a lot of attention in the book because it's a very common experience. We lose loved ones, we lose friends, we lose experiences. Some people are losing their country of origin with this immigration crisis or we lose, you know, mm-hmm. our wealth or we lose our health through an injury. Um and, you know, it's interesting uh again coming back to why I wrote this book you know often mindfulness is presented as a panacea to all these problems and actually what mindfulness does is it's it's a radical meeting of life as it is right and one of the things mm-hmm. in life is loss there's there's also beauty and 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 joy and love but there's also losing things and and grieving is one of those very tender and as you say long-term experiences It can go on for years and if we haven't trained ourselves and mindfulness trains us to be with what is to be present no matter what's happening whether it's beautiful difficult joyful sorrowful to how to stay steady to f- being with feeling noticing allowing and uh letting the emotion you know like a wave wash through us um and so uh the the the, the reason why I titled the book from suffering to peace is that mm-hmm. when we struggle with reality when we fight it when we uh you know blame reality you know or, or collapse into self pity or hopelessness right we or you know basically resist loss you know 
then we're adding more suffering to our experience, right? When we act, when we can actually surrender into and allow and accept like loss and things change and things don't continue, there's an ability to meet it, to let go, especially when we're, when we're able to infuse our uh, awareness practice with kindness, right? And so I talk a lot in the book about how it's essential that we're not just being mindful, which means being aware, but we're also yeah. being aware with kindness. So with loss, we need to be tender, we know we're, we're basically, I think of mindfulness as helping us meet our vulnerability as a human being. To be human is vulnerable. We're, we're subject to sickness, to aging, to loss, to being laid off, to you know, all kinds of things. And the more that we can, we've learned, trained ourselves to be present in meditation with anything and everything, the more we can learn how to meet anything in life with that same steadiness and wisdom. Got it, got it. So Action Tribe, I hope you're listening to this important definition over here, which is mindfulness is not about escaping or avoiding the experience that you're going through right now. You know, everything is part of life, the highs and the lows, the light and the darkness. And so it's all about, uh, like you've wonderfully mentioned, allowing us to, allowing it to wash over us, receiving it, allowing us to experience that and then at the same point meeting it to where it is and then letting it go uh, and and i think it's important to have this perspective thanks a lot for sharing now uh, mark like you've alluded to you know many of our listeners are parents and parents have kids and children are very gifted very talented especially these days but the challenge is that they have phones and access to social media and that can as we are finding have devastating impacts on a person's mental and emotional health. So what is one simple technique or how do parents go about teaching mindfulness to their children in today's age? Mm. Yeah, it's a great question. And I have many friends and parents who teach mindfulness to their kids, but also teach in, in the kids' school. Um, and it's actually one of the right. things I'm most excited about is that there's millions and millions of children now across the world learning these these practices. Like, I mean, I bet you, like me, would wish that I'd someone taught me mindfulness when I was six, not when I was <laughs> 20 or 50 or whenever people learn. Like my dad started to meditate and he's 79. You know, he wished he had mm -hmm. it when he was 19. Yeah. And um, it's a beautiful thing. And, uh, you know, you can teach kids as young as, you know, four, five, six years old, simply how to, you know, you have to make it playful and interesting with younger children. You know, just, to, you know, like, well, let's take three mindful breaths or let's see how we can listen to the sounds of the birds and see, you know, see if we can not talk for the, for a minute, right? Or you make it into a little game. And um, but I think one of the places that where mindfulness is really helpful for kids is helping them become aware of their emotions and their body, right? So one of the mm. simplest things we can teach kids is how to be aware of and to feel and name emotions. When we name an emotion you know, like sadness or anger or fear, that naming of it allows uh, the brain, our attention to actually hold it with more and navigate it with more skill. And so even just mm -hmm. that simple uh, training children of, of learning how to be, be feel and be aware of emotions, tremendous life skill. Because of mm -hmm. course, when we're not aware of what we're feeling, we tend to act it out, we dump it out, we react out of it. And if kids have that self-awareness, like, oh, I'm angry, I know when I'm angry, I tend to say really mean things. And if I take three or five mindfulness breaths, I know that that calms my body and my mind down. 
Like that's a great skill. So we can make it very simple. Pay attention to your breath, notice your body, notice your feelings, notice any thoughts that are causing you a lot of pain that you can just let go of. Like those are very simple things. You can teach kids in a few minutes, you know, a little bit every day, you know, quite accessible. Got it, got it. Thanks a lot for sharing. So parents who are listening right now, if you're trying to impart some mindfulness techniques to your kids, remember to make it fun, make it short, make it uh, engaging, uh, make it like a game. Uh, and most importantly, make them um, be able to notice what uh, type of emotion they're feeling so that they're able to notice the triggers and then, you know, shift um, right away. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, uh, in school, they, they taught uh, yoga. And I uh, still remember that the best part of the yoga session was not the asanas itself themselves, uh, but the last part, which is the shavasana. And I still right. fondly recall, you know, just moving my consciousness and mm. scanning the different parts of my body. I didn't have a word to, you know, to, to, to name it. And I was craving for that experience because after school, they stopped yoga. So I was craving for that experience May years down the line and then i rediscovered yoga later and, I, and it's you know life has a way of uh, bringing you back a whole circle right and right. so i think that this experience is going to be so useful for children as they navigate through the challenges uh, of life uh, now mark in your book you, you write about time in death right and you say that time is just an illusion and i've spoken to many of our listeners and sometimes uh, we just can't help but feel a sense of uh, having wasted the precious years of our life, right? Whether we are 30 or 40 or 50 or 60, even like you mentioned, your father, you know, learned my meditation or mindfulness at 79. Uh, and we can't help but have this feeling of, of what if I had started this, uh, started doing this X, Y or Z, uh, you know, 10 years back, right? Uh, so this sense of lost opportunity makes us spend a lot of time in our past and we end up losing a lot of energy so how does mindfulness help us deal with this sense of regret and wanting to go back in time yeah yeah well it's interesting because uh regrets one of my stickiest uh mind states you know it, it, it's one of the ha my mental habits that i've just inherited from you know from whenever from my conditioning and yeah you know, what mindfulness helps us see is it's a complete waste of time <laughs> It's like, you know, I mean, because, you know, what's done is done. The past is gone. Right. Um, yeah. and, and, and it's, it's one of those places we really have to practice letting go. Right. You know, mm -hmm. the, 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 the concept of letting go is, you know, that word is phrase is used a lot. I I'm, I'm cautious about it because, you know, if we could let go, we would, but with something like regret, it really is mm -hmm. one of those places that really healthy and, and important to let go. You know, I mean, we can all look back at our lives and say, oh, I wish I had, you know, <laughs> invested in, you know, in <laughs> Apple when it was 1978, yeah. you know, or I wish I yeah. had, you know, you know, chosen this person. And, and of course, they're all valid thoughts in a certain way. And, and they're also a complete waste of time in that what's done is done. And so it's, it's an invitation to practice uh, self-forgiveness, right? Because out of regret comes usually beating ourselves up. Oh, you should have known. You should have done better. You should have chosen yeah. this. You shouldn't, shouldn't have bought that stock. You should have got that job, right? Who knows? We, we do the best we can. We have to trust. Here's where the trust comes in. We have to trust ourselves that we, we always do the best we can in the moment with the information, the resources, the skills, capacity we have. 
And that's true of any moment, 20 years ago as it is now and 20 years in the future. We, we, we do the best we can. And we have to trust that 20 years ago we did the best we could given who we were back then. And then we just let go of what could have been. Because the truth is we can't know. We could say, well, it would have been better had I you know, bought this stock and made lots of money. But maybe not. Maybe you would have got bought that stock, made lots of money, and actually been really miserable or made terrible choices. And so mm. we have to, we have to be mindful of the mind that creates this idea of reality that we believe to be true. It's just an idea. And so mm. that's where mind comes in handy. Is we see those thoughts, we see, oh, that's just a story I'm making about the past or the present. That if I believe, I feel miserable, and therefore, if yep. I feel miserable, I should let it go. If it's a, if it makes you feel miserable, then just let it go because it's not worth your energy or your time. So I think that's a it's a wonderful um, way to live, and it's true. You're you know when we're thinking about the past, it's just a story. It could have gone either ways. You could have in that example either I won a lot of money or I made a lot of money, or you could have lost it. So it can always go either ways. Uh, let's talk about fulfillment for a minute. Uh, I mean, I do a lot of interviews or research with my listeners to understand what are they you know, one of the challenges they are going through. And many of our listeners are obviously craving the experience of fulfillment, especially when it comes to job fulfillment or business fulfillment or life overall. So firstly, how do you define fulfillment? And how can mindfulness help us experience fulfillment in life? What's your process like? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, it's not a word that I use uh, so much uh, for some reason. Uh, I think it's a great question and a great reflection. What, what, what creates a fulfilling life? Um, I think for me, um, what I found, and I think this is certainly backed up with research from positive psychology from people like Martin Seligman, is that when we're living a life that's much bigger than just focusing on me and my needs and my wants and my desires and my goals and actually takes into account uh, other people or you know other species when when our when our life is oriented around has a deeper purpose bigger than ourselves right when we're mm -hmm. when we're helping others taking care of others when we're in service for others when when our life has a bigger vision than just making me happy uh you know it's clear like like for example in north america right it's, it's affluent people have a lot of you know access to many things and you can see that when people just devote, focus, making themselves happy, you know, works on a material level, but you can tell that, you know, and, and the data shows like, you know, the happiness index of this country, you know, compared to the rest of the world, you know, we're quite down the charts, even though we're the most affluent. And right. so, so, but when we actually orient towards generosity, towards kindness, towards compassion, towards serving others, helping others. And that might be, you know, in the way that you work in your business, the way that you work in, in your social, in your, in your personal life, or as a parent, then th that creates a sense of well-being and fulfillment. When, when, our, when our life is oriented towards something beyond ourselves, I think that creates the deepest source of fulfillment. Uh, so that's what, mm. that, and, that, and, I, and that's certainly true for my life. When I'm helping and serving others, I feel the most full because I feel like there's a certain purposefulness and, and a richness and a depth. Um, and of course, you know, it doesn't mean I can't enjoy, you know, 
going for a nice bike ride, which I did this morning, or, you know, you know, there's, there's, there's certain other things I think are important, taking care of our body, taking care of our social relationships, taking care of our family, um, making sure that we also have access to joy. And I, I, I emphasize this a lot. So as you know, I teach a lot of my meditation workout in nature. And mm -hmm. I emphasize a lot the need for us to orient towards beauty, towards joy, towards nature, towards pleasure, because, you know, for the most part, most people have stressful lives, work hard, yeah. look at screens most of the time. And so we need to balance our lives, not just with work and, and, and screens, but also with joy and pleasure. So I think that's also an important part of a fulfilled life that we are, you know, meeting our, our needs, whether it's for social connection or for joy or for relaxation, sleep. You know, we live in a sleep-deprived culture, right? So there's some basic <laughs> elements. But I think the deeper level is is, is living in a life more oriented towards uh, something bigger than ourselves, a mission bigger than ourselves. Got it, got it. So I loved uh, your response. So actually, Trev, if you're listening to this right now, it's about, you know, going beyond pleasure, although that is important from time to time, uh, but going more towards uh, a mindset of service, of compassion, of kindness, and of feeling like you're part of something larger than yourself so that you're making an impact towards a common vision, whatever that might be. So uh, thanks a lot for sharing that. And I love that you've uh, pointed out to the importance of being in nature and just feeling like you're part of something larger than yourself, right? Uh, and you write about this in your book. Uh, you speak about this knowing that, we, you know, we know that everything is interconnected. And we have this feeling, right, that we are part of this web of life and a universal collective consciousness. And there are numerous studies that are being done to sort of prove this theory. So how can mindfulness have us understand and comprehend this and see this interconnectedness uh, in everyday life? How do we start noticing these signs and these magical yeah. moments in life? Yeah, yeah. Well, again, going back to my my nature work, so I spend a lot of time outside. Nature's my my sort of my, my primary sort of passion, and and I take a lot of students outside in meditating outside and nature retreats and things. And I think you know the more access we have with nature, the more that we notice. Um, you know, our intimate interdependence and interconnection, whether it's, you know, noticing the weather, you know, the blast of cold air comes in and suddenly we feel contracted, a, a, a waft of warm tropical breeze comes in and we feel relaxed and at ease, or we notice birdsong, we feel that sense of joy and uplift, or we notice some jackhammering going down the road, you know, some construction and we contract. And so we can see both in our physical body and our heart that we're, always you know in this intimate dance with life and of course it's not just in nature we can notice it in the city we can notice it in our in our homes or in our offices um but um there's a way that when we're mindful and you know, this is some of the things that i stress on my nature retreats is i'm always pointing people to noticing the dynamic the dynamic dance of the outer landscape and the inner landscape when the outer landscape is the world nature people and the inner landscape is our body, mind, heart. And they're always in a dance. And we, we think mm -hmm. of ourselves as this skin-bound bubble we, that we move through life, through the forest, through the city, without any sense of real relationship or connection. But it's just an optical, as, as Einstein says, it's an optical delusion of consciousness to see mm -hmm. ourselves as separate. And scientifically, we know that we're just atoms 
you know, molecules bouncing around with light, the, the same as everything else is. Um, and it's one good example that I like to that share is um, when I'm outside on a nature retreat and say we're camping up in the mountains, we're either drinking from the stream or drinking from a spring in the mountains. And we've been, say, in, that, in the, that, those mountains for a week. And I tell people, I say, you know, at this point, because we're, our bodies are 70% water and because we've been drinking from that same stream or that same spring, that by the mm -hmm. end of the week, you're more the mountain stream than anything else. And it's not just a right. nice new age idea. It's actually true that our body is mostly at that point become the spring water. And, um, mm. and so that, that's a way of, you know, it, it can optically, we look at the stream, we drink water and we go, well, they're not really that much, got that much to do with each other, but actually we're intimately, you know, like I live in San Francisco mm -hmm. and we drink mostly, uh, the snow melt from the Sierra Nevada mountains. So I'm mostly snow, mm. <laughs> right? We're mostly <laughs> you know, rainwater, right? And it's like, and that, you know, it's been sort of co-opted by the new age is like, well, that's a nice idea, but it's actually true, right? In the same way that mm -hmm. we are the earth, like we eat plants and we eat animals and vegetables and that becomes our flesh and bones. And it's not just an idea, it's actually real. Mm -hmm. When you pick from your garden, you're becoming part of your garden. And so, so we have to just stretch our imagination a little bit to feel into, oh yeah, like every single thing, you know, like try not breathing for a few minutes, you'll see how deeply interconnected you are with oxygen and with air. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with what you're saying. Um, uh, I live in Vancouver, so British Columbia, we've got a lot of forest uh, access to the beach and to the river yeah. and to the lake. So a lot of uh, flora and fauna as well. And to just have this opportunity, especially since it's summer, because once it turns uh, rainy, it's going to be hard. But since it's summer, just the opportunity to, you know, take out your shoes and, you know, wiggle in the sand and to wade into the cold waters or just to sta stand in awe of the mountains around us is, is, is beautiful. And it's uh, incredibly therapeutic as well. So thanks a lot for sharing. So, what is that one action step that you'd like to share based on what you've, we've discussed today with our audience? One action step in, in what sense? Sorry. For uh, uh, one action step towards, uh, you know, transforming their lives or one action step that they can take towards a more mindful existence. Mm. Yeah. Wow. It's hard to narrow it down to one thing, but I would say, um, you know, going back to our earlier conversation, um, you know, the, bo the body being this great doorway for learning how to be mindful. I would say, you know, for example, for the rest of the day, try to be mindful of your body as you breathe, as you move, as you exercise, as you eat and drink, and just notice what it's like to actually bring more of your attention actually into your interior experience rather than just what's going on out in the world or on the screens and notice how that can bring a sense of ease, sense of groundedness, sense of embodiment, sense of presence. Um, so that would be one simple, accessible instruction you can practice anywhere, anytime. So there you go, Action Tribe. Uh to see the entire blog post for this particular episode on our website, visit my7chakras.com forward slash 309. That's my7chakras.com forward slash 309. And I can't even believe it. The last time you had appeared on our show, that was 177. So that's almost twice uh, the number of uh, episodes and time just <laughs> flies by. Actually, 
Uh, if you're like, liking what you listen to so far, then make sure that you hit the subscribe button on your iPhone as well, because it'll ensure that you don't miss out on any of the new episodes that we release from time to time. Once again, hit the subscribe button. No person ever steps in the same river twice for it's not the same river and he's not the same person. This is an amazing quote by Herrick Littis. And I believe this is from your own book, Action Tribe. This is a, a deep and powerful quote because it's so true. Change is the only constant like we're learning today. And just like the river is constantly moving and flowing and, uh, and ebbing, we're constantly changing every day, every hour and every minute. Your thoughts are changing, your emotions are shifting, your emotions are going up and down and your cells are constantly dividing and, and, and growing as well. So in all this change, sometimes we wrongly assume that you will never get to where you want. If you're not where you want to uh, today, then don't underestimate the power of, of time. Like they say, time heals all wounds. It's true. Uh, and sometimes you just need to take a break. Sometimes you just need to take a few steps back and go inwards like Mark has suggested to us today and allow your inner self to heal you because when you come back to the river, you'll be a different person. Uh, so Mark, talk to us about a time when you had gone through a difficult situation. Uh, uh, what did you do to sort of uh, come out of it or to overcome that challenge? Hmm. Yeah, so uh, one of the hardest periods of my life and in my practice, um, I was uh, on a long three month retreat. I was on my way to become a monk in Burma and I'd been meditating maybe a dozen years and uh, all of a sudden, some very old layers of uh, trauma came up, some early uh, pre-verbal trauma that I had previously not been aware of. And as, as many maybe listeners know, when trauma comes up, it's quite, it's very challenging, kind of flattened me for a while. It's so painful, very difficult states. And um, uh, it really uh, shook me up. It shook up my any kind of sense of spiritual ego I had, I kind of thought I was like this, you know, hotshot young meditator going to get enlightened. And then suddenly life came along and said, yeah, well, wait a minute. How about you learn to integrate some of the pain body trauma stuff you're going through? And it mm. took me on a very long, uh, difficult journey. I ended up getting chronic fatigue um, and uh, had to really, you know, work with very, very painful, raw, tender states for a long time. And what that taught me was, um, and this is why I speak so much about this fusion of uh, mindfulness and compassion, is what it taught me is how important it is that we meet ourselves, particularly our pain and, and the pain in others, with compassion, with kindness, that we can't move through this life without a friendly, caring response. And so what that the period of my life did I, I was sort of trying to ascend as often is sort of you know pointed to in, in spiritual circles basically trying to transcend out of the messiness of being human and what that taught me was actually no i have to come into my heart into my body and actually meet the tenderness and the pain with love and so since that time which mm -hmm. was about 20 years ago and that's been the orientation of my life is how do we meet life with love, with kindness, with kind awareness. Got it. Thanks a lot for sharing. And I'm sure that many of our listeners are able to, um, you know, take in what you said, uh, which is not trying to always transcend the moment, but to meet it where 
it is. Um, so thanks a lot for sharing that with us. Action Tribe, I hope you enjoyed today's episode so far and are ready to take some action in your life. The purpose of our show is to remind you of how powerful you really are. Yes, there are certain things that are beyond our immediate control, like uh, global poverty, climate uh, change, or the proxy wars around the world and large-scale disease. But if you focus on what we can't control, we will always remain in a state of helplessness. And there is a solution. The solution does not begin outside. It begins from within. There's something uh, that uh, is there within you that has the capacity to shift, uh, you know, the energy of the world around you. And that's something I'm working on each and every day. Your mindset, your outlook, your level of optimism and your resilience can make all the difference in this world. But it all begins with understanding yourself to a greater extent, your strengths and your weaknesses uh, and then taking small steps towards improving yourself and getting closer and closer to your bold vision because just like the amazing philosopher Rumi once put yesterday I was clever so I wanted to change the world today I'm wise so I am changing myself so Mark uh, Thanks a lot for sharing all that you've shared so far. We've come to the last round, which is the wisdom round, which includes four questions so that our listeners can get some uh, practical wisdom to apply right away. Uh, so what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received in your life? Hmm. Again, hard to narrow it down to one piece of advice, but um, the one piece of advice I received from my first uh, Vipassana teacher, Christopher Titmus, um, when I, I came back from India, I'd been studying with great uh, masters in India, and I'd been very expansive, a lot of you know profound states and insights had arisen. And when I came back to London and was contracted and feeling very caught up in my sense of small sense of self, um, he said to me, he said, freedom reality allows self and not self to be in that sometimes we expand and dissolve the sense of self and we see that we're so much more than this small bound limited neurotic self and at other times we are very caught in that sense of identity and personality and history and he said you know and the teaching was reality allows self and not self to be in that our life moves between sometimes being very small and contracted and other times boundless and expansive and free and that the point isn't necessarily to abide in one place or the other but to see that freedom allows movement of all of it got it uh, so if you could turn back time and uh, you know spend one hour with someone who is currently living or dead who would it be uh well it'd have to be the buddha you know having studied buddhism for 35 years uh, I would love to partly just see what he was like as a human being. You know, you've got the texts and the mm -hmm. teachings and all of that. But like, I'm really interested in how someone lives and embodies and, and emanates the, the wisdom and compassion. And so I just love to see what he was like as a, as a person. Got it. And now this question, I'm sure everyone is, uh, you know, wanting to know what is that one thing that you do in the morning or maybe in the evening before going to sleep that has improved the quality of your life? Hmm. Well, in the morning, it's meditation for sure. You know, just that's finding that place of stillness and presence and clarity um, inside or outside where I meditate. But the evening, what the practice I have is, um, and I do this with my partner, 
is we share three things we're grateful for in the day. And even if it's the worst day, you know, that we've had, we can we find three things we're grateful for and then things that we appreciate about each other. It's a very beautiful heartwarming practice and I highly recommend it to people. Got it. That is definitely something amazing to do because not only are you then feeling grateful, but you're also working towards nurturing and growing your relationship, which is phenomenal. Now, if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would that uh, book be? Yeah. Again, very difficult question. Um, <laughs> I think the book that that's really touched me the most, um, especially when I was in India, was uh, I Am That by Nisargadatta Maharaj. Beautiful uh, Advaita text, non-dual wisdom. It's profound, it's accessible, and it's, it's, you know, it's one of the most deepest, wisest books of the last century, and I highly recommend it to your readers if they haven't uh, taken a look. I Am That. I Am That. So Action Tribe, uh, would you like to listen to would you like to receive one free book so that you can start listening to uh, listening to books? Because Audible.com is offering Action Tribe one free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial so that you can check out their service. Because if you're listening to this podcast, then you would agree that listening is the new reading. Uh, and Audible has, you know, thousands and thousands of books to choose from. I'm not particularly sure if this particular title, I Am That, is available on Audible, but uh, you will get a free book. So go to my7chakras.com forward slash free book. That's my7chakras.com forward slash free book and claim your free credit. Uh, so Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. Before you go, tell us one thing that you are grateful for, uh, how we can find you online and how can people you know, get a copy of your book. Mm. So one thing I'm grateful for, while it has to be Mother Nature, you know, every day I'm just moved by beauty and joy of the natural world. I can't, can't express more gratitude uh, deep enough. Um, so people can find me, my website, my, my main website, I have many, but the main website these days is markcoleman.org. M-A-R-K, Coleman.org, C-O-L-E-M-A-N. And you can find information there about my mindfulness retreats, my nature retreats. I run mindfulness teacher trainings. I run nature meditation teacher trainings. I've got all kinds of online courses and audio stuff. Um, and so that's where you can, my calendar, and you can find information about that. And you can also get information about my book there. And you can go to all the main places online like Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and Indie Books to order the book online. And of course, if you have a local bookstore, please go there and buy the bookstore, buy the book there because we want to support our local bookstores. Got it. So we'll have all the links up in the show notes. Action Tribe, if you're watching this video, uh, then this is the book. It's an amazing book. And what I like most about this book is uh, not only does it uh, uh, does Mark explain these concepts in a very simple and easy to understand manner, but after I believe each chapter, you also have a corresponding meditation that they can partake in, right? To sort of embody the wisdom that you've shared. Yeah, uh, I think so it's really something important. that I really enjoyed. Yeah. No, I think it's really important that we not just learn the theory, but actually Thank learn how to practice it. Yeah, so there's probably 35 meditations in there that are really accessible and actionable. That is Got it. So there you go, Action Tribe. From Suffering to Peace, we'll definitely have this link up in the show notes for you to purchase these books uh, from Amazon. 
um if you enjoyed our podcast today and you feel empowered you feel positive you feel a bit more inspired after listening then support our podcast and send send us a one time secure donation go to my7chakras.com forward slash support my7chakras.com forward slash support and if you're on instagram then take a screenshot of this episode and tag me so that i can share your story with our community my handle is at my7chakras at my7chakras so mark thank you so much for coming on our show talking to us about the truth of mindfulness not just one aspect of it but bring it all together and talking about the various uh, challenges that people go through on a daily basis and how they can shift their perspective and change their outlook and also taking us one step closer to a human revolution great thank you very much complete delight to be with you again good luck with all of your work